As you find your seats today, we're going to uh, continue to jump into our service. But we, before we do, I want to call your attention to the screen. There's a special... Oh, wait, before I do that, thank you, Paula, for reminding me of that. Um, I want to read a passage of Scripture, and this will kind of introduce what we're going to, to, to be at today. James chapter number 3, and you can follow along in your Bibles, your electronic devices, however that, that looks for you. James chapter number 3, starting in verse 13, the writer says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, before we jump into the service today, I want to call your attention to the screen. There's a short video clip that will kind of introduce what we're talking about. Watch the screen for just a moment this morning. <laughs> Do that again. I love this. Yeah, one more time, right from the beginning. So today our topic is called Beat That Wall. All right, be honest. Anybody that read this already, how many thought this was going to be a political sermon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I already had somebody ask me that today. That's why I'm throwing that out there. Okay, we're not talking about that wall. We're talking about another one. If you've never seen the athletic competition called Ninja Warriors, then you probably have no idea what that whole thing was about. In this competition, there's several obstacles they get to, but one of the main attractions, one of the centerpieces is called the Warped Wall. The Warped Wall is anything from 14 and a half to sometimes 18 feet in, in, in height, there's actually one, uh, the tallest that we know of is 21 feet high. The, the point is, you run up to this wall and you try, and it, that curve, you try to get up and grab it and get over the wall. It's a crazy, crazy feat, kind of interesting to watch, right? So I hope that this morning you can follow the analogy that the Lord's kind of been ringing through my head over the last several weeks as it pertains to this warped wall. And, and that would be when we talk about church and we talk about who we are and, and the idea of, of what God is doing in our life, even through these 21 days of prayer. Here's what I've seen in church so many times. We get in Calvary being one I've been a part of, that we seem to be going along, we're doing the right things, we're doing good things, things are happening. And then it seems like, my, my first thought was we hit a wall. But as I was thinking about it, it's, it's kind of like this warped wall picture. We come to a point and there's something that we're running up and we just can't quite get there, and then you slide back down, right? We're getting so close to getting over this because on the other side of the warped wall in some of the competitions, there's more obstacles, there's more, there's more race ahead, but you have to go through the warped wall to get there. Here's, here's what I believe. What we're going to talk about over these next few weeks together as a church, I, I categorize in my, my analogy as warped wall events for our church. That if we don't figure out how to get past this part of, of this, this part of our, our church and our philosophy and whatever we're doing, we're going, to, we're going to always stop short. And I think we've done that. We've seen things happen and then 
we find ourselves sliding back down again. So, so our chant for today is to beat that wall, right? That's what we're talking about. And all of that is coming down to this one thing. We, we introduced it last November when we talked about loving relationships. And, and we talked about how important this was. We talked, and it's, it's something that we're familiar with. But in my, in my uh, opinion, this warped wall event for us comes down to resolving conflict with one another. Conflict is just that idea. Every one of us has been in conflict. Some of us have probably been in conflict already today, right? Conflict is a part of what we... In fact, the idea of conflict resolution, it's big business. I mean, there are people, that is their job to be mediators, to to resolve conflicts. Corporations will hire them to come in and to mediate contracts, to talk about their taxes. I mean, you talk about conflict resolution, there are people hired that can help you through, uh, you you know, lawsuits, help you through divorce, all these kind of, there's mediation, there's this whole idea of, of resolving conflict is something very, very real. So what does that have to do with us as Christians? Well, the Bible talks very specifically about how important, and that's what we're going to introduce today, this idea of resolving conflict. And the word, the biblical term that we're going to talk about today is called peacemakers. We're going to, you, you can see the, the decorations. I, I think it's just such a beautiful picture what we're looking at, the peace, uh, the symbol of peace being the dove in, in many cultures. We're talking about the idea of being, becoming and living as a church of peacemakers. And that, that, by simple definition, is, a, is conflict resolution. By the, the lexicon, the dictionary, talks about it simply one who restores peace and reconciliation. Here's going to be the verse, that, one of the two verses we're going to focus on today, one we just read, James 3. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We're talking about that word peacemakers. What, what is that? Someone who reconciles, but I, I think it's bigger than just someone who, who helps bring conflict resolution. There's something bigger that God has in mind, because if you notice, it, the word is peacemakers. In fact, some of your translations talk about peacemakers, they work the peace, they cultivate the peace. It's actually an agricultural picture of the idea that peacemaking is something that has to, has, takes effort it's something that has to be worked on and has to be something that we, we put practice into. It's, it's, it's the idea that something is going to take a, a concerted effort to happen. Peacemakers, right? When we talk about this verse, I want you to notice something. Peace, though, is not the goal. Peace is not the ultimate. It's not we're wanting peace more than anything. The goal is righteousness. The result that we're looking for is a harvest of of righteousness. What peace is, peace is the soil. Peace is the thing that, we, when we talk about righteousness, we're, we're talking about the things that, that obviously right, the things that are of God, that, that, that are like Him. It would have to refer to things like spiritual maturity, about, you know, practical holiness, whatever it is you refer to as righteousness. That's the goal. That's what James has been talking about all through his book up to this point. We're talking about righteousness being the goal, but he says here, the soil that allows that fruit to grow is peace. And peacemakers, they turn up the ground. They stir up the peace so that righteousness can be the, the result. What we're talking about at church, we want to raise disciples who make disciples. That's what we say we do around here. Well, understand, that spiritual maturity we're talking about, God says it grows in the soil of peace. And you need peacemakers to make that 
happen. In fact, if you were go back just a couple of verses, and I, I read them just a moment ago, verse number 15, he gives just the opposite of what peacemakers and what peace looks like. He says, the wisdom that doesn't go for peace, it's selfish ambition and envy and the conflict, that wisdom doesn't come from heaven. Look how he describes it. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and don't miss this third word, it's demonic. The devil is actually involved when we're not at peace. That's what the devil wants for our lives, wants for our church. It's demonic. He goes on to say, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The soil in which evil comes is a lack of peace. A soil of peace brings forth a harvest of righteousness. And that's what God, individually and overall for the health of our church, it's important that we learn what it means to be peacemakers if we're going to see that happen one other thing i learned from this verse is peacemakers you learn from the context as a harvest that i don't it's it's something that comes from god i i am not a peacemaker by nature and neither are you we don't you don't have it within you by yourself to be a peacemaker we'll talk about people who are they're nice and they, they but a peacemaker is a divine thing it's something that god gives us he will give us the ability. It is possible for you to be a peacemaker, but not within yourself. You're going to need the help of something bigger than, than you, and that's God, to be able to do this. But God wants that to happen. So last November, I gave you kind of a teaser about we're going to take a month or so and just talk about conflict resolution. Well, today I start the fulfillment of that promise. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to biblically resolve conflict. And the word I think God would use is being a peacemaker. Let me give you some foundation. Two thoughts that you got to know about peacemaking and conflict that are very important. The first one is this. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. We're humans. Conflict is going to come. We'll talk about it deeper because the second thought is peacemaking is intentional. Peacemaking is something that you have to intend. It doesn't just happen. We're all, we're all Christians. We're all nice people. So peace is, it, it's not. Since conflict is inevitable, peacemaking has to be something we choose to do to make peace. We're going to have to make some effort. We're going to have to make those choices. All right, so let me start with just a working definition of the conflict we're talking about. Because some people would say, well, I'm not beating anybody up. I'm not, you know, I don't hate anybody right now, so I must not be in conflict. Conflict goes much deeper than that. Let me give you a working definition. Conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Anytime you have, a, you have a different desire or goal and someone else has a different, there's, going to, there's a conflict that's going to happen. It's inevitable. We're, in this room is a room full of desires and goals and values. And at some point, they're going to come in conflict with one another. That's just how it happens. The, the conflict, in that sense, is inevitable. This definition, it's big enough to include, you know, innocuous things like difference of tastes. I like blue carpet, you like red carpet, right? That, that kind of happens. But it also includes that, and it also includes hostile arguments, where you're, you're mad, and you're, you're cussing, and you're fighting, and you're, you know, it, inclu- it includes everything. Anytime that those, here's what I've learned, that sometimes if we don't handle the taste issues correctly, they escalate into the hostile issues. I've been in a lot of churches that started with a difference of carpet, ended up with somebody not ever coming back to the church again. Because you didn't take care of it correctly. Does that make sense? Conflict is inevitable. In fact, the, the truth is, what, what, I, what I've learned is conflict itself is not necessarily bad. 
Conflict just by nature, not all conflict, in fact, some conflict is necessary. Some conflicts you have to have because if you didn't, we'd never change anything. You have to come to a point where somebody says, I'm not sure we should do it that way, or I'm not sure we're, and, and you come in, conflict can be beneficial. It can start dialogue. It can make creativity. We call it brainstorming. You know, it's the idea of, wait, that, that, let's, let's talk about that. And, and there's a conflict, difference of opinion, but, but you're able, it, it's not, if you are able to handle it correctly, it actually can be a beneficial thing. But on the other hand, not all conflict is neutral and beneficial. Some conflict erupts right from the, the pit itself, and it comes from selfish ambitions and desires and evil, th- and, and that's what twists it. If you were to go to the next verse after we just finished in James 3, 18, the next verse, chapter 4 and verse 1, taking from that peacemaker verse, goes on to say, so what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a good question. Well, here's the answer. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, right? You have different desires. That's where the conflict happens. But notice the next part. You desire, but you do not have, so you, you kill. You don't resolve it. You, you, you take somebody out. You, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. You see, conflict is going to happen. That's inevitable. It's how we, how we resolve it. It's what we do with it that's going to make, make the difference. Okay, so church, here's where we're going for these next few weeks. This is why I believe this is a warped wall issue for us. Because we can do all the things that we say, but if we don't learn how to make peace, resolve conflict, we're always going to come to a point where we stop and come. I I believe it's that serious of an issue for a church, for an individual in your spiritual life. Your your walk's going to go so far, and if you don't learn this, and here's why. When we say we make disciples who make disciples, we go on to say, and you do that through relationships, it's not taking a class and getting everything memorized. Those are all, it's through relationships one with the other. So follow me. If relationships is the way we grow and make disciples, if we don't learn how to maintain and to make peace in our relationships, discipleship stops. If, we, if we're going along and we have a conflict, which is going to happen, and we don't figure out how to get through it, then discipleship comes to a screeching halt. That's how important it is that we, that we see this as such a big issue that we want to get over this wall, not that we're ever going to be perfect, but we get to the point where we begin to learn to be peacemakers so that we can, it's happened in my life. I've been in church for, for 55 years, literally. My mom said I was in church the week after I was born, right? So I've been here 55 years, but in those 55 years, be honest, transparent, I look back and there's a lot of littered relationships along the path I didn't handle conflict well I didn't know how I I never learned and so a lot of and I look back with with regret of some of those and and I can't change the past but I want to make a new future do you understand churches like ours all over the place but Calvary were right in the middle of it if we were to be honest you look back over the history of Calvary and there's a lot of littered relationships that never got fixed we may not be able to go back and fix all the things but We've got to make a change or we're going to hit that warped wall every time and slide back down. We've got to get over this hump and figure out how to figure out to be peacemakers as God has made us to be. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, but we, we can do this. Let me, let me take you the definition of peacemaking, a little expanded for a moment. Peacemaking is, first of all, it's seeking to bring quarreling parties together to bring harmony and peace. You're a negotiator, a mediator, someone who comes in and, and sees two, two arguing parties, helps to bring peace. But 
Peacemaking takes another step. It's also practicing peace by striving to live in peace. Peacemaking is proactive. Peacemaking is not just stopping the fight. Peacemaking is making an atmosphere, a soil in which righteousness can grow. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah, right. I mean, just be honest. You all were thinking it. Live at peace with everyone. You don't know the everyones that I have to live with. Right? Live at peace with everyone. That just doesn't make sense. Because here's, here's part of our problem. We, we think that to live at peace with everyone means that we, at some point, we're, we're thinking we'll have no conflict whatsoever. And we've already determined that's not going to happen. We're humans. Conflict is inevitable, So it's not about the conflict goes away and we never have conflict anymore. And and churches are known for that. You're not supposed to have conflict in church, right? We're all all followers of Jesus. Why should we ever have conflict? It's kumbaya, my Lord, right? That's church. No conflict. It should go away. So if if we're thinking peace with everyone, it means to never have conflict. Well, that's that's not possible. It's not going to happen while we're on this earth. Here's the second problem we have with that. And that is we think if we're at peace with everyone, that means that I have to be a doormat, that my opinion never counts. If, if I'm going to have peace with everyone, that means if someone else differs with me, then I have to go, okay, I concede. It's all whatever you want. I have no opinion. It's, up, it's like when my wife and I go out to supper, right? And I say, honey, what do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. Every husband in this room knows that that means choose wisely, young grasshopper, right? Because she wants something. I just have to be smart enough to figure it out, right? There, there is something behind there, right? It's not, it, there is no uh, lack of opinion. And, and so we, we think that we have to just be, understand, truth never compromises. Holiness and purity, that's always going to stand. So it's not a matter of we don't take a stand on what is true and what is right, but we can do so with the spirit of peacemaking. We can do so in a way that as best we can, we are living in this atmosphere of peace. That's what God has, has called us to be. It's, it's, not, it's not just the, the idea of, of, of just being without a fight. It's actually being peacemakers. Let, let me throw out a question. Do you know what the difference is between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Both are important. Peacekeepers are great. I mean, they, they help us a lot. That would be kind of category police, army, peacekeepers. But, but the thing about a peacekeeper, by general definition, is they are there to keep the peace, make sure it doesn't get out of hand or to stop it if it starts to go south. Or Their, their goal is to bring ceasefire, to put all the, the weapons down. That's the job of a peacekeeper. Very important. Peacemaker is one who not only stops the fight, but wants something deeper. They want peace. Not just the stopping of the argument. They want peace. They want reconciliation. They want restoration. They want forgiveness. They want Peacemakers are proactively trying to set an atmosphere so that righteousness, maturity can grow. That's what a peacemaker is, and that's what God has called us to be. So why do we struggle with it so hard? Why do I struggle with it? Why do, you, why do some of us, why have we had this issue for all of these years, if peacemaking is what it is, why don't we just, that's what God has called us to. Well, let me get real for, for a little bit. In fact, I'll just throw this out. If you want to read a book, here's a, one I would suggest. It's an older book, but it, by the name Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Great book to read, a lot of great stuff in there. But one of the things that, that he points out and that I want to share with you is 
the, the, the issue is how you respond to conflict when it happens. And generally, we fall into two camps of how we respond. The two extremes are fight or flight would be that when it comes to responding, conflict responses, I'll just admit to you, I'm an avoider. I don't like, I don't like conflict. I will, I will avoid it at any cost, if at all possible, to stay away from it. That's just, that's my default, is to avoid conflict. And so maybe some of you, you're in the same boat, you understand what I'm talking about. But usually you're, you go into one of two camps. If you're not making peace, you find yourself in one or two of these areas. Let me give you what these would be respond. The first one is the escape response. That's me. That's the avoiders. The, the, the idea of escape is you're more interested in avoiding conflict than resolving it. You don't want to fight. You don't like fighting. Everybody just get along. So rather than acknowledge that there is a conflict and try to work through it, you just avoid it. You ignore it. You maybe deny it. You, they, they call this peace faking. Churches are renowned for that. Oh, we never fight in church. Really? We never have conflict in church. That's just not true. But maybe we're not fighting. We're just, we're getting, we're ignoring the fact that there's, there's the elephant in the room is there is an argument and we're just not dealing with it. You escape it. You try to run from it. That's flight. The second is the attack response. The attack response is someone who's more interested in winning a conflict than preserving the relationship. This is a, this is a test. I want, I'm going to see if I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to make sure you are, are going to do what I want to do. This is, a, this is a battle in which I'm going to win. I'm, I'm there to attack and I will do whatever it means to make that happen. Here's what I know. Some of you, if that's your default, you do that immediately. As soon as the conflict comes, you're right on the top. i got to win this. But I've also learned that for some of us avoiders, it ends up being attack at some point. Because at some point, you can only take so much ignoring and faking before you lash out. You, you, I, I pushed it down so far until I get cornered, and then, boy, there have been some times that I've blown up, and it ain't pretty. I'm using an avoider, but you push just, I had a, I had a little collie dog when I was a boy named, named Foxy, okay? She was a beautiful, don't laugh at my dog, okay? Her name was Foxy, all right? Foxy was a beautiful, gentle little collie, gentle in all ways, until one day I wanted to see what happened if I held her mouth shut. So as a little boy, I held on to that mouth as tight as I could, and Foxy was squirming, and finally she pulled out, and when she did, she bit me right there on the cheek, right underneath the eyeball. Foxy, what are you doing? You're so gentle. Because you can only take, you can only take that kind of stuff so long. So even for us avoiders, sometimes it, it morphs into attack because you can only take it so long. At some, but do you understand? Those are the, you're either attacking or running, but neither one are making peace. The peacemaking response is that which is focused on finding just and mutually agreeable solutions to conflict. I recognize the conflict is there. I know that I either want to avoid it, I want to go after it, but I want to find a resolution. I want to find the, the, the possible mutual just resolution to this, to this issue. Here's, here's the point. Peacemaking, those who are peacemakers, they don't think conflict are just an inconvenience or a hazard or an obstacle. If we learn peacemaking, we see it as an opportunity. Literally, peacemaking becomes an opportunity for righteousness to grow. Remember our verse? That soil of peace that produces righteousness? Peacemakers see that the conflict is there, but if we handle this right, this can become something that brings forth something great. It's an opportunity to demonstrate the love and the power of God in our lives. 
to show that God's bigger than our conflicts and he can show us how to, how to work this out. It becomes a stepping stone to a closer relationship with God in our relationships. Peacemaking gives you a perspective that this is, can be a good thing if we, if we handle this in the right way. Let me just give you an overview of what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. We're going to look at four G's of peacemaking, a, a very hopefully practical way to handle conflict as we walk through these next several weeks. The four G's go like this. We're going to talk about glorifying God. We're going to talk about getting the log out, which you'll understand that if you don't recognize it reference. We're going to talk about gently restoring and then just simply go and be reconciled. Four G's, a process of handling conflict, whether that's in church or whether that's with your marriage or that's with your family or that's with your neighbors or whoever it is at school, wherever, there, there is a way that we can, as God's people, be peacemakers and follow this process to be able to see that peace happen. But this morning, we're still just introducing it. Let me go focus on one other scripture about peacemaking as we introduce it. This one, Matthew chapter 5, is actually the words of Jesus. He's speaking a sermon, a very famous one called Sermon on the Mount. There's a, there's a list of things in this sermon where he talks about ways of the kingdom fulfillment. And right in the middle, he says this, verse number 9, Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. He starts with the word blessed, which he's repeated several times in this. The word blessed, some translations say happy. Either one is, a, is an okay translation, but most commentators believe this is a hard word to translate because it, it's really deeper than just happiness. I mean, you can be happy because it's snowing outside and maybe happy because it's not snowing when it stops. Right? The happiness is, comes and goes with circumstances, so it's deeper than that. It really has this, this idea of fulfillment. It has the idea of, of true inner satisfaction. There's something fulfilling, Jesus is saying, in the kingdom, and one of those things includes those who are peacemakers. The fulfillment we can find in following Jesus, he says, it includes when you're a peacemaker. It's the idea that this is a founder of, again, it's emphasis on making, not keeping, but making peace, proactively making peace. So, so far, this kind of sounds familiar. In fact, there's only two times the word peacemaker is used in the New Testament. One is we read in James, and one here Jesus says. And James and Jesus were half-brothers, right? And they both talked about peacemakers, Okay. But there's something that Jesus adds to this verse that's very, very interesting. He says, for they, the peacemakers, will be called children of God. There's something significant. If we pick up what this is to be a peacemaker and we start to practice it, there becomes a significant identification for us as God's people. For one, we, we now bear, if we're peacemakers, we bear a family resemblance to who? Our Father. He becomes the one who we, we begin to look like. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 1, Paul put it this way. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. It's like a, a, a kid saying, I want to be just like my dad. When we're peacemakers, we're acting just like our dad. We're showing the resemblance of being God's people when we're peacemakers. But the other thing about this, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. This becomes a a mark of identification as a follower of God. If you're a peacemaker, people can then look at you and say, wait, you're one of those God people. Now, whether that's good or bad, the point is they can't, they can't negate the fact you're acting like God when you make peace. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
There's something about this love aspect, this peacemaking peace that allows us not only to identify with our Father, but for others to identify us as children of God. That's how big this whole thing of peacemaking is. Now, why is that? Here's for your outline. The message of the gospel is a message of peace. When you talk about God, you're talking about he, his, he's all about peace. If you, if you go to the Colossians chapter number 1, you'll find that Jesus gave us an amazing gift when he gave his life on the cross. He died for your sins and for my sins. He died because there was a, there was a punishment. He took his punishment on the cross for us. But look how Colossians described it. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things... Notice these next three words, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus made peace when he died on the cross. There's one other verse that talks about that. Let me show you what that is. Ephesians chapter 2, Christ Jesus was once, uh, when we were far away, has brought us near by his blood, for he himself is our peace. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. When Jesus came, and when he died on the cross and rose again from the grave, he was making peace. And he, he, he was not only the, the ultimate peacemaker, he then gave us an example that this is what God does. He makes peace. But even the fact that he did it through the cross shows us this peacemaking is going to cost us something. It's not going to be without, without any, uh, anything that, that we have to, to be a part of. It, it cost him the cross. But through the cross, he then made peace. I, I want to take the next couple of minutes and, and just talk to you about what that looks like. There's, there's three dimensions of peace the Bible talks about that Jesus provided when he died on the cross. And each one of us fall into these three, each one of us should be having these three things as a part of our life. First one is the Bible promises we can have peace with God. This is an important point, so don't miss this. Do you recognize as a human born into the human race, you are not at peace with God? In fact, the Bible would, would go on to say that you're an enemy of God. You're, you're at war with God. You say, oh, I, I believe in God. Hold on a second. Because of your sin, you're separated from a holy God. And that separation because of sin makes you at odds with God. You are not at peace with God. So a lot of people we see in this world who are restless, they have issues and all this kind of stuff. The basic issue is there's no peace with God. Their creator and them, they do not have peace. Because there's sin that has not been taken care of. We are, we are to be punished for sins. We're separated by our sin from God. And because of that, you can't have peace in and of yourself. God loves us so much that he made a way of peace. That peace sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to take your punishment. And then his grace provided a way for you to receive that as a gift so that you don't earn it, you don't have, but you can, through Jesus Christ, have peace with God. The war can be over with God by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ and allowing his sins to forgive you, letting his death forgive you of your sins. That's why Romans chapter number 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question that you've got to answer. Do you have peace with God right now? A lot of people I've heard at funerals talk about 
making, they, I hope they made their peace with God. People think about that right before death. It's some the old tombstones used to have a, three letters, R-I-P, which means rest in peace. Because we're thinking about, oh, I hope I have peace. Do you understand that peace with God can come right now in this life, right now, and last through eternity if you receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers and forgive you? Do you have peace with God? That's what the cross of Jesus provided for you was the opportunity to have peace with God. But Ephesians tells us there's another peace that Jesus talks about, and that's a peace with one another. He talks about that fact that when he died on the cross, he took the Jews and the Gentiles were separated, and now they're brought back together. So that means the whole human race now can be one body through Jesus Christ, through his cross, and for all those who accept him, we have now have peace with each other. He broke down the wall. He made it possible for no matter who you are, what you look like, to be able to have peace with one another. If we, are, if we all have the cross of Christ, then we have peace. That's what his cross provided for us. But, but here's the issue. You have the peace possible with one another for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But Colossians also tells us that sometimes the problem is we have to let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, since as members of the body you were called to peace. The word rule is the word we get our word umpire from. you got to let peace umpire your relationships. And sometimes, well, that's a strike, that's a ball, whatever you want to. Sometimes peace has to be the one that says in this relationship something's going wrong or right, but peace needs to happen. We can make peace, it's possible, but God has made it possible for you to have peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's made that not only a call, he's made that the, the expectation. You need to be at peace with your, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Making peace. And when I say peace, I'm not talking about where, well, we're not fighting anymore. We have people that come to church and they say, well, I, we no longer fight. We just can't sit in the same service together. Or we no longer fight, but I, we just don't talk to each other. We just kind of pass. So there's no peace there. We're just, not, we're just not beating each other up. That's all that that is, right? The point is Jesus made it possible and now expects us to live in peace with one another. The last kind of peace Jesus offers is peace within ourselves. A lot of people spend money and a lot of time on trying to find inner peace, right? Meditation, all kinds of things, trying to find inner peace. God promises that that is possible. There is such a thing as peace. In, in Isaiah chapter number 32, he talks about the Lord's justice coming and it brings righteousness and the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. It will bring quietness and confidence. Now that's real peace. And it is something that can be in your, you can have an inner peace, an inner calm, an inner confidence. That, that is possible and it's something that God has provided. Jesus has made that possible for what he did. And what I find interesting is our first verse said that, that in, in James chapter 3 and verse 18, that that fruit of righteousness is sown in peace and it brings righteousness. But then this verse tells us that when you have righteousness, then that brings more peace. This whole thing of God is about peace within you, within your heart. God wants you to have this. But here's the problem. A lot of people want to have inner peace, but they're at war with God. Your sins are not forgiven. You're living your life the way you want to do it. You're running from God, and you're not at peace with God, and so you're not going to have inner peace. You, you may have a semblance of things, going, but to have true inner peace and that restlessness, that confidence, it starts with making peace with God through receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. 
So some people are trying to, I want to have peace within myself, but they're not at peace with God. But Christians, hear me please. Some of us as followers of Christ, we are at peace with God, our sins are forgiven, but we still find ourselves restless and frustrated and, and wondering why there's no real peace. And I want to present to you that's because we're not, we're not participating in that peace with one another. As a follower of Christ, if you are at peace with God, but you're not at peace with your brother and sister in Christ, you're not going to find peace within yourself. These are, these are not multiple choice. I want to have peace within myself, but I'm worried about God. That doesn't happen. I want to have peace with myself, and me and God are cool, but I, I'm going to have an argue with others, and I'm not going to resolve it. Understand, these all come together. In fact, the, the author, Tim Hansel, said this, peace with God, peace with each other, and peace within ourselves all come in the same package. You want to have peace within yourself, well, start with, I need to be at peace with God. And then as a peace with God, I can be at peace with others who are at peace with God. And with those, here's the thing. If you're trying to do one without the others, you're going to be constantly frustrated. And Christians in church, you wonder why there's just this, I don't have the, let's look first, peace with God. Secondly, are you in unresolved conflict with another brother and sister in Christ? Because if so, you're always going to find it frustrating to be at peace within yourself. So the next few weeks, we're going to do our best to beat that wall. We're going to do what we can to let God show us and take a next step in becoming peacemakers. Learning how and hopefully practicing. This isn't just, well, good, this series is over, let's move on to the next. But hopefully making this a part of who we are and taking steps to learn how to make peace with one another. Let me, let me end with a couple of verses. We talked about this one already. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then the next verse, Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but both of these verses indicate this. Peace is possible you can do this, but you're going to need God's help to make it happen, and you're going to have to make an intentional, you're going to have to make every effort. You're going to have to do everything that depends on you. If, there's, if you're going to see peace, you're going to have to be a peacemaker to see that happen. It's not going to be easy. Never said it was going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to put you out of a comfort zone to be able to do this, but peacemaking is that important to your maturity and the health of the church in which you're a part, that we become peacemakers. On the bottom of your info card today, there's a list of next steps. I want to call your attention to those because I hope that some of these may be what you're thinking right now and, and you'll take that step. For some of you, it is simply receiving the gift of eternal life, having your sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ because right now you're at war with God. And maybe for the first time you just heard that and recognized it and say, wait a second, if I'm at war with God, I'm going to lose God is, and, and there can be peace, but it can only come through receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So maybe that would be your step today, that you call out to God, say, God, I get it, I'm at war with you, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation, please forgive me. I want to follow you with my life. Maybe you need more information about that. Maybe that's your next step. But I also hope that some of you will consider those next two things. You're a follower of Christ, but will you commit to at least listening and learning about how to become a biblical peacemaker. Maybe taking that next step and not just 
not fighting, but literally learning how to make peace, which may involve the last one, which is there may be somebody right now in your mind that you know that's the relationship you need to start with. You need to make peace, and you know they have a name. They have a face, and it's right there in your mind right now. Would you commit to praying about and seeing God, how, if you'll show me, I'll, I'll do my best. Do everything within me, make every effort to be at peace.